This is the Living Vertizano podcast, brought to you by The Church at Riverstone, a fellowship of the Church of the Nazarene in Madera, California. Our episode today looks at Psalm 89, a psalm of lament. Together, we discuss setting aside our expectations to become conduits of God's peace in our world. Hi, everybody. I'm Nick. And I'm Natasha. And we are the Living Vertizontal Podcast this week. I know that you guys are missing out on two of our voices, Derek and Brittany, but the good news is they will be back next week um, to begin our new chapter together. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but for now, um, let's finish up the conversation that we've been having as we've been working through this season of Advent. I know as you're listening to this, um, Advent is over. We're now in Christmas tide, and, and Christmas is here. Christmas happened two days ago. Um, but uh, as as a church, we've been working through um, the the themes each week, and this week our theme is peace. Um, as a quick reminder, last week we looked at Psalm one twenty six, which was a song of ascent. Uh, it contained worship and praise and uh, expectation. And from that, we discussed how noticing, remembering, and sharing what we have seen God do can be a source of joy to the world. And our theme last week was joy. Um, and like I said, this week, our theme is peace. And so we're going to continue in this Advent series using the joy of every longing heart. Um, and as advised through this material... Um, our passage today is Psalm 89, specifically verses 1 through 4, and then verses 19 through 26. Um, but we're going to go ahead and just read all of Psalm 89. So strap in. It's a little bit long, but we think it's important, um, especially for those specific conversations on those verses, to have an idea of everything that's said. So Natasha, would you mind reading for us um, Psalm 89? Sure. Psalm 89. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth, I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever, that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. You said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to David, my servant, I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations. The heavens praise your wonders, Lord, your faithfulness too, in the assembly of the holy ones. For who in the skies above can compare with the Lord? Who is like the Lord among the heavenly beings? In the council of the holy ones, God is greatly feared. He is more awesome than all who surround him. Who is like you, Lord God Almighty? You, Lord, are mighty, and your faithfulness surrounds you. You rule over the surging sea. When its waves mount up, you still them. You crush Rahab like one of the slain. With your strong arm, you scattered your enemies. The heavens are yours, and yours also the earth. You found the world and all that is in it. You created the north and the south. Tabor and Hermon sing for joy at your name. Your arm is endowed with power. Your hand is strong, your right hand exalted. 
righteousness, and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, Lord. They rejoice in your name all day long. They celebrate your righteousness. For you are their glory and strength, and by your favor you exalt our horn. Indeed, our shield belongs to the Lord, our King to the Holy One of Israel. Once you spoke in a vision. To your faithful people you said, I have bestowed strength on a warrior. I have raised up a young man from among the people. I have found David, my servant. With my sacred oil, I have anointed him. My hand will sustain him. Surely my arm will strengthen him. The enemy will not get the better of him. The wicked will not oppress him. I will crush his foes before him and strike down his adversaries. My faithful love will be with him. And through my name, his horn will be exalted. I will set his hand over the sea, his right hand over the rivers. He will call out to me, you are my father, my God, the rock, my savior. And I will appoint him to be my firstborn, the most exalted of the kings of the earth. I will maintain my love to him forever, and my covenant with him will never fail. I will establish his line forever, his throne as long as the heavens endure. If his sons forsake my law and do not follow my statutes, if they violate my decrees and fail to keep my commands, I will punish their sin with the rod, their iniquity with flogging, but I will not take my love from him, nor will I ever betray my faithfulness. I will not violate my covenant or alter what my lips have uttered. Once for all, I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever, and his throne endure before me like the sun. It will be established forever like the moon, the faithful witness in the sky. But you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all his walls and reduced his strongholds to ruins. All who pass by have plundered him. He has become the scorn of his neighbors. You have exalted the right hand of his foes. You have made all his enemies rejoice. Indeed, you have turned back the edge of his sword and have not supported him in battle. You have put an end to his splendor and cast his throne to the ground. You have cut short the days of his youth. You have covered him with a mantle of shame. How long, Lord, will you hide yourself forever? How long will your wrath burn like fire? Remember how fleeting is my life. For what futility you have created all humanity. Who can live and not see death? Or who can escape the power of the grave? Lord, where is your former great love, which in your faithfulness you swore to David? Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations, the taunts with which your enemies, Lord, have mocked, with which they have mocked every step of your anointed one. Praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. All right. Thank you for reading that for us, Natasha. Um, before we jump into a dialogue back and forth conversation about this psalm, um, I think it's appropriate, as has been our practice over the last few weeks, to provide some context, um, like what's going on in the life of the Israelite or the life of the psalmist who 
penned this psalm um, to to kind of maybe bring a fuller understanding of what's going on here. Um, the interesting thing, as I have done some research on this, is that genuinely it's unknown. Um, the being able to say with a hundred percent certainty where this psalm came from, it, they're not able to. I mean. It's clear from the context of what is written, or at least it would seem clear from the context of what is written, that it obviously comes after David um, and before the Messiah. But other than that, like that's a huge time period. Um, that said, there are some theories, um, and I think a pretty good theory, of where temporally this psalm might find itself. Um, and so we'll, with our conversations for the rest of the this podcast, we'll, we'll kind of lean on this context understanding, and that is um, that more than likely this psalm was written uh, pretty close after the Babylonian invasion of Israel and the destruction of Jerusalem and the carrying off of the Israelites into exile. So I know for the past couple of weeks, we have been kind of post-exilic in our conversation with the Psalms that we've been on. Um, but this Psalm comes at the front end of that very exile. Um, and so there is a lot of uncertainty. They have, the Israelites have just seen um, the king, the, the king that is in the Davidic line, that is a, a representation of the Davidic covenant of having somebody from the line of David on the throne. They've just seen that king dethroned, and he is no longer on the throne. Um, and they've seen their their jewel city destroyed, and they are leaving the promised land in their rearview mirror, for lack of a better term. They are being carried off into exile. And so it's with all of that in place that we come to this psalm and we read this psalm and we begin our conversation on this psalm. So uh, with that, I guess, uh, Tosh, do you have anywhere you want to get us started in this conversation? I think one of the major themes that jumps out to me just overall from the passage, I don't, I don't know if there, there's probably several specific verses we could go to, but as a whole, I feel like the one theme that really emerged to me was this idea of God's faithfulness mm -hmm. and being able to rest on the truth that he is faithful. So when God says he will do something, he will do it. Um, there may be variation in how that's accomplished, when it's accomplished, how comfortable his accomplishing of that thing is, but we can rest in knowing that he will accomplish that thing. And as we're talking about peace this week in the season of Advent, so much of our world is constantly in flux. It's constantly changing. We don't have a lot of stability. There's so many unknowns um, that when you're, you're in this, this, I don't know, see, when you're in these seasons of disruption and chaos and uh, lack of control, um, having a relationship with someone who is faithful and you, you just know they are faithful because you've experienced their faithfulness. You've heard others for generations tell tales of right. his faithfulness. Then that brings a peace that is beyond description. 
I think, unless you've gotten to experience yourself, Hmm. because all of a sudden, all your cares and worries become so small when you start to realize and see this big perspective of, well, in God's plan, in his perfect plan, you know, my life might be really rough right now, but ultimately God's working all these things together for my good and for the good of his kingdom. And I get to be a part of that. And so that gives me peace because I know in the midst of the chaos that somebody is in control. And though it may seem like they're not in control, they really are. And I, I think that's why the writer of this psalm can begin this this psalm that really carries a lot of lament with it. Yeah, I mean, um, it is a lament psalm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think with our... With our um, I guess with our discussion on Sunday, we didn't necessarily focus on those components of right. lament that are in it. Right. And so that might come as a little bit of a surprise if you didn't read the the entirety of the psalm, which is why we wanted to do that. But I think that's why in the midst of this, this horrific situation where sure. you feel like God's promises are being broken. I mean, really, that's why the psalmist can start with the phrase, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever with my mouth. I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. And he can say that with confidence because he knows God's faithfulness. He's seen it and he has confidence that it will do it or that God will do this again. Yeah. I mean, and even in his like closing statement, right? Like at the very end of the Psalm, he, the Psalmist is like questioning God, essentially like putting him on trial, like, uh, Lord, where is your former great love? Uh, which in your faithfulness you swore to David, like he's asking, but in his last statement. So he's he's got these questions, these hanging questions, these nagging questions as a result of what he's seeing going on around him. And he still ends it with, like he begins, like you said, and he ends it with praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Like that is somebody who is at peace, who has found peace in his his ability to trust that God is who he is. God is faithful. God is love. And, and I think, so you kind of keyed in on this idea of God being faithful as, as a, a theme that was throughout the passage. And I saw that, and I also saw like this idea, this theme that we've already talked about. It's an Advent theme, um, but of love and specifically of of like enduring love and how like God, despite what is given to him, continues to love and continues to, to pour himself out. And as you brought up Natasha, where like you get, you back up and, and, and see the big picture, which obviously we don't, most of us don't really get the chance to actually see the big picture. We have to like have faith for that, right? That the big picture is there. Um, but if we were able to back up and see the big picture, we can see that that God is working all these things together for the good of those who love him and for for his kingdom. And, and that is the action of somebody who loves, right? It may not look in the moment like, oh yeah, God sure loves me right now with the... Uh, you know, falling of our capital and the dethroning of our king, like it, it may not look like God, at least I may think, uh, well, I don't think God loves us anymore. But I guess if we actually think about it, like, man, Israelites were going through a rough time, like under those kings. 
There was a lot of unfaithfulness. There was a lot of uh, destructive behaviors and tendencies that began. And I mean, is it possible that this was being used as a way to call Israel back to himself, which is an act of love, right? And I, I know that kind of gets into hairy, difficult conversations, but like I think that's the theme that stuck out to me was the the psalmist's proclamation that God still loves us. Like even though this stuff is going on, I know and I trust in God's enduring love. And because God loves and because God is faithful, I have peace. In the midst of this craziness, I have peace. It's interesting that you bring up this concept of love because this very idea, and I, again, when you when you mentioned it, I, I thought back to that beginning statement, I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. And then yet in his questioning, so I think this is verse, um, let's see, 49. He says, Lord, where is your former great love? Right. Um, he's He doesn't see it. So I think of all these times in the world where we really don't feel like we see God's love, you know, and yet there's this underlying confidence in the psalmist that even though he doesn't see God's love, even though this doesn't feel like God's love, he knows that it must be there and it mm -hmm. must be present and he wants to experience it again, right? And so I think that that theme of love is is almost tied. It's tied to the to that concept of faithfulness. Sure. Um, and and the two are just there. You know, the love drives the faithfulness, and um, and that brings peace. As you were saying that, um, it, it kind of got me thinking, maybe stepping, looking at this psalm, but stepping outside of the psalm, like. You see the psalmist has communicated all of this information. He is he is proclaiming the the everlasting love of God. He is proclaiming the faithfulness of God and he's also questioning God in in the moment in the situations that they're facing. And I and I think about how psalms are supposed to be like the the songs of the people, right? Like it maybe an individual wrote it, maybe a couple of people wrote it, but these are like psalms that that are like the heart of the people. Like this is what we're feeling as a nation right now as we go through this. And I think about just how important this psalm was and and this psalmist writing this psalm was for the people of Israel. Right? Because it would be easy to be an Israelite and focused on the circumstances around me and I and lose sight of God's enduring love and God's faithfulness. But when I have somebody who is able to, to hold on to that on my behalf and then proclaim it and remind me of it, all of a sudden now when I'm in this situation, I, I, I'm able to reorient and remember, no, God is love. God is faithful. And as I was thinking about that, like I think about how important our role is in the world today as Christians in the very same way. Like we may not be psalmists, like I, I especially am not going to write a psalm anytime soon, um, or songwriters or anything like that. But I mean, how important, how vital is it for us when we look around? I mean, you already brought it up earlier 
at the very top of the podcast, this, this idea that, man, there's a lot of chaos and craziness in the world around us. And so many of us are focused on it. We need people like this psalmist to remind and reorient us to the reality of the enduring love of God and his faithfulness. And maybe it looks like a psalm. Maybe it just looks like somebody being able to say, you know, this is what God has done in my life. And I know he loves me and I hold on to the fact that he loves me. I may not be seeing it right now, but I know he loves me. Right. And that's the other really neat part about this psalm is not only does he hold on to the truth of who God is, but he like he does that with one hand and with the other hand, he reaches out to the heart of the person that is broken with his questioning at the end of the Psalm. He levels with people and levels with the reality that is at hand and says, this is what we're feeling. And even when we're feeling this, we know this to be true. We, even when we're feeling this terrible weight of oppression around us, we know the love of God and the faithfulness to be true and so it's like the psalmist is able to, to, with both arms, reach into the two different camps and begin to bring them together. And in so doing, he becomes a bearer of peace to the nation of Israel. And in the same way, like today, we have that opportunity. We have that responsibility. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say obligation, then I was like, ah, oh, that sounds maybe <laughs> a little <laughs> negative. But responsibility is probably a better word. Yeah, we have that responsibility where it's like, like we have this good news of great joy that that God has come and, and God has has died for our sins and and has has lived this life with us and, and wants to continue to live life with us. Like that is what we have the message of. And it's easy to lose sight of that. It's easy to lose sight of the reality that God wants to live life with me when I walk out the door and instead of seeing Christ's hand extended to walk through the day, I see, I don't know, a, a car wreck in front of me, right? Like I, I lose, I, it starts to get a little bit more divorced. This idea of the God who is present and wants to walk with me in relationship gets a little bit more divorced as I see the the stuff of life. And so we're needed. Like we we do. We have this responsibility to to do what we can to hold together the reality of who God is with the very real reality that we encounter every day. You know, you mentioned how difficult it is to continue to hold the two realities together of who God is and what we're seeing before our eyes through experience in the world and seeing the brokenness and the hard things in the world and still remembering how good he is and how he loves and how he is faithful. And I, you know, when we think, or when I think back and consider, consider this, this psalmist, um, assuming that he is, you know, just, at the, at the beginning of this experience of exile, right. um, it's, it's going to be generations yes. before they see any sort of, any sort of change. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and even then, um, this expectation of there's going to be, there's going to be a restoration of the Davidic line 
And then, you know, the expectation of who that might be. I think in, in Haggai, we talked about and, and Malachi in, in that earlier, earlier podcast uh, season, we talked about how there was a lot of stock placed in the fact that Zerubbabel was going to be this Messiah character that was going to restore because he was the one who, you know, was God's signet ring. Right. right? And so God had made him, you know, had restored essentially the covenant of the Davidic line through him. And so in so doing like there was, everybody was kind of like elbowing each other saying, Hey, this might be the Messiah. You know, the one Isaiah is going to talk about, which we still, have we even gotten there yet? No. Cause that's in Babylon, right? Yeah. Isaiah. Okay. So, <laughs> well, we don't know theoretically. We okay. don't know if we've talked about it or not. So the, you know, the, this Messiah that Isaiah will prophesy about. And so when I think about the amount of time that passes by, I mean, this is lifetimes, many lifetimes of, of hopelessness and of, of getting your hopes up and believing that you see it, you see it, you, you see what God's doing, you see the restoration, and then it just lets you down because it's not what you thought. It's not what you expected. It doesn't look as good or as pretty as the story that you could have written. You know, and and then it waits another lifetime, and and you don't even see it because you've died, and mm-hmm. your children have heard these stories of your waiting, and you know we see it. by Malachi they're just cold. Yeah, they just don't believe that they know God is faithful, but they've forgotten about His faithfulness. Mm-hmm. They haven't experienced it themselves. It's this distant thing that they've ex- they've like heard that others have experienced but they themselves are struggling to believe for it. And I think that as we journey through life, we should expect that we are surrounded by this mentality that that there's so much difficulty and struggle and heartache and disappointment and just plain evil in the world that how could a good God be present? How could there be a faithful God? What God? And I, I think that as, as Christians, like this is, this is the reality that we have to kind of own and say, Hey, it's been, it's been years. It's been generations. It's been a long time, if ever, since some of these people that God has placed in our lives have ever experienced who God is, mm-hmm. who have ever experienced his peace, his love, his faithfulness for themselves. And everything they're living is really like hanging on a thread of other people's past experiences. And that's going to require a relationship building with them and a continual encouragement and honestly fighting with them and for them in prayer um, for their belief in God's faithfulness and in his love so that hopefully they catch a glimpse as they're going through the evils and struggles of this life um, to catch a glimpse of God's activity to say, ah, I saw you. I saw what you did there. That is the faithful God that I wanted to believe in all along, but I never got a chance to see for me. And that's how we be conduits of this peace in the world that you're right. talking about. And, right. and as we, as we, celebrate this week, the birth of Christ, 
He is, you know, the fulfillment of these things that all of these people have been waiting for that the psalmist spoke about hundreds of years before. Right. And it took a long, long time. Mm -hmm. And as we sit here, we're still waiting for the fullness of his kingdom to come. We, we're not experiencing this perfect world where we are all in obedience and in unified, like the priestly prayer that Christ yeah, gave before. To be one is there one. Yeah, yeah. And, and we're not experiencing that. And we're waiting for that. And we're believing for that. But honestly, my grandparents were waiting for it. And their grandparents were waiting for it. And right. their grandparents were waiting for it. And we're still asking the same questions. Oh God, how long? Right. Where, why, how can a good God allow all this evil to exist? We're still asking the same questions. And so we have to become, in essence, the psalmists in our world where we hang on to these little pieces and these little bits of experience where we see God's faithfulness and where we see his hand so that hopefully we can hang on to the hope of this greater picture and of his kingdom coming in full when right. everything is made perfect. And when, when we really are one as, as Christ prayed for, and when there, there is no more sorrow, there's no more there. Things are as he intended it to be. And we get to experience his perfect peace and his perfect love and his perfect light and his perfect joy. You know, you, um, you said something, there was a word you said in there as you were bringing all of that together that really stuck out to me and, and was a word that um, I think stuck out in our conversation on Sunday as well. And you used the word expectation and and making the statement that you doubt that, well, my interpretation of your statement, you doubt that the psalmist in his proclamation of like, God's faithfulness to the covenant of David, covenant with David, you doubt that he, his expectation was Jesus. Like his expectation was probably something very different than what Jesus ultimately was. But Jesus was the faithful fulfillment of that covenant with David, right? And when we're hit with that reality, I think it it kind of jars us it jars me at least well yeah goodness when you think about that you're i mean the the way you just said that it, i mean he's thinking of a king he's thinking of an right. established nation he's yes. thinking and and when jesus comes they're still under oppression of By the, the Romans. Of, yes yeah. there is no there's no deliverance there's no. no freedom there's no not like that at least no not in any sort of way they expected no right and so so they have this expectation but then God comes in and shows himself faithful in a way that's beyond anything they could have ever imagined. And when I hold that then for us, you know, obviously I, I can I can say what my expectations might be, but I think the lesson from this psalmist is maybe we need to temper our expectations, right? Like I think that's actually what, put Israel into the difficult situations often that they found themselves in was, I mean, that's how the cart went ahead of the horse. They were at, at, at every step. I mean, from, from Abraham on, from, from Adam on, like the invitation was to walk in relationship with God. 
one step at a time. And they kept saying, okay, God, I got it. That's cool. Right. And now I'm going to go. Because <laughs> it was like they had, and I guess maybe I'm trying to fit a word onto it. Maybe not. I don't know. But the thing that keeps coming to me is we get ahead because we start living into expectations, right? Like we see something. Which God, God revealed. Yes. A hundred percent. We see something which God reveals and we go, okay, I get it. And we move because we we go, we think we understand everything. And so we just try to push on. And so you see that happening all throughout Israel's story in scripture that we read, even up to like the birth of Christ. Like the people are looking for this Messiah, but they like they miss Jesus because he's not what they were expecting. And I think today, I, I think the caution that I hear from the psalmist, the caution that I'm taking away from this psalm, I don't even know that he's even saying it. I just think it's because of the season that we're in and knowing that he has these expectations and then recognizing that they are different, right? The reality didn't match the expectations. The caution that I'm getting is like, man, we need to be careful. The invitation that we have as Christians is to live in relationship with Jesus one step at a time. His promise was, I will be with you always, even to the end. So his promise is he will be with us. So our responsibility, our uh, response to him is to walk with him. But unfortunately, too often our expectations get in the way. And just like the story of Israel, we find ourselves running ahead of where Jesus even is. And our expectations begin to create systems and our expectations begin to create um, like whole understandings of what things should be like when the reality is God's invitation through Christ is to slow down and to walk with him one step at a time to set aside our expectations and see him. It's been a good journey through the season of Advent. Next week, we will begin our study on the book of Romans. A study companion entitled Midweek Meditations, A Journey Through Romans is available for purchase on Amazon. Be sure to follow the Living Vertizano podcast to stay current on all our new releases. To learn more about The Church at Riverstone, visit us at thechurchatriverstone.org.